Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. Das ist die Main-Show, das ist die Review-Show. I'm your host, Manuel Feit. Here's Stefan Bienkowski. And Stefan, boy, I think we both uh, need to recover, not just from the football, but from our lives and weekend in general. <laughs> yeah, it's been a busy weekend for both of us, hasn't it? We've both been traveling. Um, it's uh, it's just that busy time of the season, isn't it, I suppose? when uh, mm. And yeah, it, it feels like it's going to be another busy year, but... It was good. The football was good. Um, and there's a whole, just a whole lot to talk about, I suppose, isn't there? Yeah, we have a ton to talk about. Um, I was going to say we can chit chat here all we want, but honestly, um, we probably shouldn't because there's a ton of topics to cover. So let's jump right in after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from pro and college basketball to UFC, MMA and more. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news and game trends at BetOnline. With live betting options, free contests and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. BetOnline is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. So yeah, Stefan, uh, should, I don't even know where we should start because... Honestly, like obviously there was the big match on Sunday. I think we should leave that to last. We're going to make listeners uh, sit through this entire show uh, <laughs> before we get there. And um, I kind of got really briefly, really briefly. We're not going to talk about this in great analysis, but I just, I just thought this was so funny because we saw all saw this a mile, mile away coming. Um, it ended up being even worse than I thought. Gladbach beat Bayern. <laughs> And then they just completely get smashed by Mainz. Like, it wasn't even close. It was 4-0 in the end, right? I mean, mm. this is just... This, I mean, this... You can't make this up anymore at this point. 
Yeah, I know. It's um, it was just one of those kind of um, bizarre results. I was I was actually kind of thinking um, over the course of the weekend, yeah, being a Gladback fan right now must be so bizarre in the sense that you just do not mm. know what to expect most weekends, and I guess most football fans kind of fall into that bracket, but. It's just, I mean, I know we we talk about this a lot. I don't know what if we need to just coin a term for it called like the München deficit or something or the Bayern deficit, and you know, <laughs> because people just seem to be so physically exhausted after whenever they've managed to pull off a result against Bayern, they always seem to lose. But it's not even just Bayern. Gladbach have been doing this all season. You know, I wrote a piece about. I remember writing a piece back at the start of the season about how. In their first five or six games looked great defensively. Then that went off a cliff. And then Marcus Turam wasn't playing well. Then he was playing well. And then it's just, it, they've just been all over the place. And actually, um, we had Kev on the show last week, the transfer show uh, for subscribers. Mm-hmm. And we kind of went into a lot of detail about just how chaotic that squad is right now and how much of a turnover there will be in the summer. So I don't feel like it's going to get any better for Gladbach anytime soon. But. No. I guess that's kind of why we love the prem, the Premier League. I guess that's why we love the Bundesliga, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. It is. It is crazy. Um, I think it's almost unexplainable at this point, and the amount of comments and mentions that I got on my Twitter feed afterwards, uh, it's hilarious. Um, at least we both saw it coming and tipped accordingly. Although I don't think either one of us thought it would be this bad for Gladbach. Yeah. So the the other game, of course, um, and we. We both guessed this right. Uh, Stefan was the the Leipzig against Frankfurt game. Um, Frankfurt lose to Leipzig 2-1. And you kind of see a separation at the top now, right, with um, the the contenders and the teams that are maybe um, not going to contend for the title. And I think Frankfurt are probably now too far away um, to call themselves a title contender. Leipzig fully in it. And I want to talk about Leipzig in a moment here. But you almost get the sense now, Stefan, that Frankfurt... The best thing that can happen to them is to, to get kicked out of the Champions League by Napoli. And I mean, it looks like that, right? They're down 2-0 um, after 90 minutes. Um, but I almost sense like for them, because of the way that they play and the, the high-pressure game that they're playing, getting rid of one competition might actually be the best for them to sort of salvage their Bundesliga campaign. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't get a chance to watch this game in full, but from what I have seen of it, it it kind of unfortunately kind of confirmed my concerns that Frankfurt are beginning to kind of run out of steam a little bit. Um, it seemed to me like a game in which Leipzig, um, just out of almost sheer will, uh, were able to kind of overrun them. I mean, if anyone hasn't seen Timo Werner's goal for this game, it's really worth watching because it's kind of <laughs> it kind of sums up the poor guy quite well in the sense that he more or less kind of stumbles. He, he runs through on goal in the way that we all know Werner to do. He's playing on the last man, gets played through, and he basically falls over in the process of trying to finish the shot. Uh, and it just kind of bobbles inside the post, which, you know, doesn't exactly help his reputation for being uh, a little <laughs> a little inaccurate in front of goal uh, and suggests that the only way he can score is by maybe mishitting it on the way of falling over. But... Um, no, I, th- I think it was a game that Leipzig kind of really dominated. I think it probably did a really good job, as, as you said, kind of differentiating the kind of chasing pack behind Bayern uh, from the real contenders mm. and the teams who are doing very well to be in the top four at this stage. And I think we'll obviously go on to talk about Union and 
Bayern and whether Union fall into one bracket or the other. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would say that kind of Leipzig have kind of been contenders for the most part of the season, they, and they and they've showed in this game as they have done at certain points last season that they have the quality to beat the the good teams in this in this division really well, you know. And I think that was the kind of performance mm-hmm. that I think most people would look watch and say, well, that kind of goes to show just how good Leipzig can be. Um, because it was a match which, you know, they obviously did very well in, and they obviously have a lot of key players. I just talked about Werner there, but there's obviously a game in which Christopher Nkunku didn't start, um, and, he, and he started with Forsberg and Poulsen up front, and with all due respect to both of them, I know they've been very good servants to the club over the years, but they're probably now at stages in their career where they both know they're not, they're not first-team starters. Yeah. And I actually thought Forsberg did very well in this game, so it was again a show of, of just how much depth this... Leipzig team do have and the fact that the players who do step in tend to do very well so you know whether you know it'll be interesting to see you know kind of what happens between now and the rest of the season for Frankfurt because they're almost certainly going to get knocked out of the Champions League unless something truly remarkable was to happen to Napoli because they got played off the pitch in every sense in that first leg mm-hmm. and I don't think the second leg in Italy is going to be any better for them Um but they're also beginning to kind of peel off in the Bundesliga as well, I think. So, I mean, I guess there's still maybe domestic cup run or something for them, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but maybe it's just a case of them just kind of having to just kind of like um, really kind of tighten things in that squad, kind of get back to basics and just kind of say, look, between now and end of the season, we have to really kind of maybe push for that top, for that fourth place finish because... Yeah. It's probably going to it's probably going to come down between them, Union Berlin, and Freiburg for fourth. I think because I really do think mm-hmm. Leipzig will probably kind of push on, um, and it's going to be a great race to see who could finish in the top four. Um, but for now, it kind of looks like Frankfurt are maybe running out of steam a little bit. Yeah, I think for them, the top four finish is needs to be the priority at this stage, right? I mean, as fun as the Champions League and all that has been, and they're not playing with Kulumuani suspended as well, right, for the return. Mm. So I think the best thing for them would be to just essentially capitulate, go out, and then just completely focus on the Bundesliga, have those midweek games off. Um, I think it's kind of going to be crucial for them. Um, Leipzig, in the meantime, I mean, they're not, we don't know yet if they're going to have midweek off because they are in a pretty decent position against Man City in that second half. They, they looked really good, right? Mm. So they could still have those midweek games. And look, they remain in the chase for the title, I think. Um, just four points off the top two. Um, and you do think that with the squad that they have, yes, they had a, a couple of hiccups now in the, in the second half as well, but still the team that since Marco Rosa has taken over has collected the most points in the league. And I think, I think you know, uh, Kicker wrote this this week that it's a five five teams that are fighting for the title. I mean, that's maybe statistically true, um, and I'm not counting out on your own quite yet. But if you look at it realistically, from the, the strengths of the squads, it's really three, isn't it, Stefan? And I think Leipzig are probably in it now. Yeah, I think you know. I think we talked about this maybe about a month ago when we were kind of looking at, you know, these top teams and how close they were to Bayern. And I kind of said that it'll come down to how these teams do against the other top four contenders, you know, specifically yeah. Dortmund and Leipzig. Um, Next and, week. you know, 
Well, exactly, you know, and I think that's kind of what kind of defines how close these teams are able to stay to Bayern because obviously Bayern, being Bayern and having the best players in the division, they more often than not, um, when they, I mean, it's all well and good that a team like Union, for example, or, or I guess Dortmund or Frankfurt or whoever else uh, can keep close to Bayern, but unless they can really kind of chip points off them in the head-to-head, then that's mm-hmm. the issue. And I think that's kind of also been the problem for Dortmund since Jurgen Klopp's time at the club, that even though they have had kind of some seasons where they are able to kind of, you know, win the games they're expected to win and keep within touch and distance of Bayern, when it has come to these kind of crunch matches, like at the Allianz Arena in March or April or something, um, you know, I was at that game last season, I think, yeah. Well, it was last season. I'm trying to remember how close the title was at that mm. point. I don't think it probably was. Actually, it wasn't because Bayern went on to win the league that, that, that very day. But, you know, Dortmund got played off the pitch and that's the kind of matches yeah. that, com- that it comes down to. But also, if you're a Dortmund or a Leipzig, the key to these things aren't just getting points off Bayern. It's also making sure when you come up against Union or you come up against Frankfurt or Freiburg, or whoever else that you make sure you pick up those points and you know if we do kind of want to now kind of transition towards that Dortmund game the interesting thing for them right now is that you know they're getting a lot of praise for I think if I'm not mistaken they're the only team in the top five leagues that have won every game in 2023 mm-hmm. nine from nine across all competitions too nine out of nine yes. right yeah and but the thing is um and this is <laughs> I'm sure Dortmund fans will not appreciate this but but um, you look at those run of fixtures and there have been some difficult games in there. Of course there have. You know, they've come up against Leverkusen, they've come up against Freiburg, and of course there's Chelsea in the Champions League on paper, a very mm. difficult opposition. However, more often than not, these kind of that kind of run of fixtures has been kind of buffed up with some very poor teams. You know, they've got Augsburg who, hey, don't get me wrong, I'm a big Augsburg fan, but they're all bottom yeah. half the table. Mainz, bottom half the table. Bochum in the Pokal, who actually gave them a good run. Uh, but of course, bottom half the table. Werder Bremen, yeah. mid-table. Uh, Chelsea in the Champions League, who haven't, have lost, have only won one of their last 15 games. Green Potter on the verge against sacked. They're a nightmare. But also, mm-hmm. actually, random quite close, to be honest with you. And in the last two games in the Bundesliga, have been against Hertha Berlin and Hoffenheim. Now, this Hoffenheim game is quite interesting because Hoffenheim actually caused a few scares more or less yeah. uh, and it came across to me as a kind of match in which again Gregor Kobel proved that he's worth his weight in gold in this Dortmund team you know you know, we've talked about it I think mm. last week or the week before that he might be the best goalkeeper in the division and once again proving that um, because I think he pulled off some outstanding saves and I don't know I think I, I think you know when it comes down to it over the next kind of like, you know, between now and end of the season, it'll be really interesting to see how Leipzig and Dortmund do against the other top four teams. And I think, I think that's something mm. that this Dortmund side still have to prove that they can do, you know, and maybe Terzic, maybe Sebastian Kell, maybe, you know, whoever else at the club will be saying, we're just focusing on trying to get top four. We're not in the title race. Uh, blah blah blah. Because that's what Dortmund do. How can you say uh, that at this point? I know, but they will. You can't. That is, I mean, you that... can't say that. You can't be. You can't. I know what you mean. Like totally. I. I they always do, right? But like, how mm. can you be even on points 
with Bayern Munich at this stage of the season and say it's not a title race. Like, this is when you, as a club, have to just come straight out and say we're going to go for it. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, if you look at the next five games between now, well, the next five games, which will run all the way to the 1st of April, so basically the entirety of March, Mm -hmm. that run of fixtures, which I'll just run through for you now, because I'm assuming you nor our dear listeners probably have the fixture list in front of them, they played Dort. They played Leipzig at the weekend. They then played Chelsea mm-hmm. in the Champions Friday. League midweek um, mm-hmm. at Stamford Bridge. They then come home to play Schalke in the Riviera Derby, which more or less mm-hmm. you expect them to win, oh. except you know Schalke have looked it's good again Derby. recently. I mean, they're not they haven't looked like world beaters, but mm-hmm. they've been very dogged, which we're going to talk about because I do want to talk about Schalke before we wrap up the show uh, later on. Uh, but yeah, difficult game. Of course, Dortmund tend to do well in those fixtures, but again, still a tricky one. Clone, okay, fair enough, so-and-so. Then at the end of the month, or rather the start of April, they come up against Bayern. Um, and then actually four days after that, they play Leipzig in the Pokal again. So, And then after that, actually, I've just realised they then play Union Berlin. So actually, you could extend that to the next um, <laughs> six games, and it's a really, really, really tough run of fixtures. And there's only maybe two games in there that I would say Dortmund are expected to win. You can maybe say the odds now favour them against Chelsea, but you still really don't know in that regard. So I think those, I think those, that stretch of games would be a real test to see how good this Dortmund team are, because you know mm. it, it it goes to show whether they are just another Union Berlin in Frankfurt in the sense that they're picking up the. the I don't want to say they're picking up the easy points because there's not any easy points, but I mean in the sense that they're picking up the points they expect to win. But in these crunch games, you know, they, they, they kind of fall away, which is as we've seen from Frankfurt recently, or if they are genuine tight contenders and they can say, no, look, we're going to go on and win these difficult games. And then when they come up against Bayern, which is at the Allianz Arena, if they're still within touching distance of them and they can take something from that game, then, you know, Terzic truly has come really come full circle and showing his critics up but I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens yeah I think what makes me um, feel optimistic about them maybe do challenging for the title is that in the past it wasn't the big fixtures that were a problem for Dortmund but the ones that they were supposed to win Um, Mm. you know like that Hoffenheim game is a perfect example and I do think a big factor for this is Kobel. Um, I mean, we've talked about him quite a bit already in the last few weeks, right? Um, also, you know, he was the bi- he was the man of the match for me in in the Champions League win against Chelsea. But I think that is the that's maybe the difference from them what they had today and what they were in the past um, is that they have a difference maker and goal, hmm. and um, I actually think that that's what always kind of in these crunch matches, that's what made Bayern um, so successful is that, you know, for a long period of time, they had the world's best keeper in net. And um, that makes a huge difference, right? When you look when you look at underlying stats, like the goalkeeper position is the one that you can spend the least amount of money in on, but win the most points from signing a good player, right? Mm. Um, it's the cheapest investment to make your team better, is what I'm saying. And I think that they were Kobal, um, you know, there's a reason why he's becoming increasingly looked at by the world's best teams because he is 
a keeper who maybe isn't quite as good with his feet as like Emmanuel Neuer, but he has this ability to be an absolute difference maker um, when it comes to points one, right? Um, and that, I think, could be a huge difference for them this year, that even when it's tied against, especially against in games that they're supposed to win, um, but, you know, then Dortmund thinks in the past, it would, it would Dortmund it, as we always <laughs> say jokingly in the WhatsApp chat. Um, Hoffenheim is a great example, but then now they have a guy who says like, no, we're not going to Dortmund this. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that we're going to win this game 1-0. Yeah. And um, I think that is a huge difference for them this year. I think it's, you know, I'm, I've, I've kind of hinted at this in the last couple of weeks and after this game, I think it only kind of confirms it for me, um, or not really confirms it, but only kind of pushes me more towards this point of view. But I actually think Gregor Kobel has been more important to Dortmund this season than Jude Bellingham has been. Um, and I know that's a big thing to say because Bellingham is the poster boy, not only for Dortmund, but for the league itself. And, yeah. you know, obviously we at Transfermarkt have him as one of the most highly anticipated, most highly valued players in the world. And of course he deserves all that. But... Mm. In this specific campaign and the performances that Cobell has been putting in week in, week out, uh, I really don't think there's anyone in this Dortmund team who has been that direct in in um you know that direct in deciding how a fixture finishes or how the result finishes because mm. it feels to me like he's pulling off remarkable saves week in, week out that would mean Dortmund drop points here, they drop points there. And, you know, this. I think the old saying is, you know, a, a great goalkeeper is worth like 10, 15, 20 points a season. And yeah, it's so easy to just kind of chalk that up and say, you know, it's it's a, it's a it's such a silly thing to say. But when you have a player like that playing that well, and as you said, Bayern fans will know exactly what that means because sometimes, some seasons, Manuel Neuer has just stepped up and he has been the main man for Bayern. Um, and you're absolutely right, Gregor Kobel's having that moment for Dortmund right now. And although I think Bellingham is also obviously having a very good season too, um, I think you could certainly make the case that whereas Dortmund do have other attacking players in the sense of, you know, obviously Sebastian Haller's come in since January, done very well. Uh, Julian Brandt has now scored four goals in four games. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Brand Marco Royce has kind of stepped back in and done very well. And of course, they're having a mm-hmm. whole array of wide players and buying Gittins and Adeyemi and Gio Reyna, who scored a great goal the weekend but was ruled off. Um, you know, they've got a whole array of attacking players that can score goals just like Jude Bellingham, but they don't have anyone quite like Gregor Kobel, especially with that defence, which I think still looks quite creaky at times. Um, and yeah, I think Kobel mm. saves more goals than Dortmund score right now, which is why they have scored or why they have won nine out of nine in twenty twenty three so far. Yeah, yeah, he might be the most impactful player in the Bundesliga at the moment. Um, it's do you know what? Which is... If you if you, obviously I'd be interested if the our subscribers of who because they do leave let us know their feedback after every show. You guys let me know if you're a Dortmund fan. Let me know if, mm. if you agree or disagree with that. Or if you're not a Dortmund fan, you, you know, you still watch them every week. Let me know what you think because it'd be really interesting to have yeah. a discussion about that uh, in the comments below because I, it might just be something that you and I think and people are like, no, you're being idiots. You don't know what you're talking about. Or they might agree. Who knows? <laughs> I, I get those comments all the time on Twitter, which is why I don't read the, the Twitter, Twitter feed anymore. But um, our subscribers are way too nice to say something like that. 
Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it is it is an interesting topic in itself. And I mean, we have an extra show this week um, that will not be about Champions League football because there is no Champions League football, even though you didn't even know until today. <laughs> yes, which goes to show how goes to show how busy I've been this weekend, and probably also how much alcohol I've drank this weekend with my wife. That I totally forgot there was no Champions League football. <laughs> so we'll come up with something else. But also, obviously, um, before I completely forget it, there was a RB Leipzig transfer on the weekend, and we are going to discuss it in the transfer show. So, um, yes, keep that keep that in the back of your heads. Anyways, uh, do you want to do the relegation battle first? Or should we, because we're already on the title tangent, um, let's go to Bayern Union and then maybe to the relegation stuff. What do you think? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, let's do Bayern because, boy, have they shown us off. Um, It took them 45 minutes to win this game. Um, You know... It was interesting too, Julian Nagelsmann said this after the match. Um, and I actually fully agree with it. And I should have thought about this in my analysis pregame. Um, and I apologize for not thinking about that, but it's been busy. I think the biggest difference in this game was, for me anyhow, that Union Berlin were obviously um, gassed from playing Ajax um, midweek. And I actually, you know, I wrote an article for Forbes about this. And I my point was in this article that actually the performance against Ajax was a perfect example of how um, Union Berlin should be playing against Bayern because they're tactically very similar, right? Um, that really high possession game um, that Ajax have, they had 73% possession. The fact that Union Berlin were very clinical with the chances, um, essentially, you know, Ajax did win the the XG battle quite easily, but Union just converted the three chances that they had and went through. What I didn't consider in my analysis is that <laughs> playing like that twice in one week for a team like Union Berlin is just too much, Stefan. Mm-hmm. And that's where my analysis fell short. And uh, for anyone who read that Forbes article, I apologize. I should have I should have thought about that. Um, because, and Nagelsmann was actually quick to point that out. He's, he said in his post-match reaction, I don't want to misquote him, so I'm just going to paraphrase it, that essentially Bayern Munich um, were able to beat Union Berlin quickly because they didn't have the legs to do what they usually do because of the midweek game against Ajax. Hmm. No, I completely agree. And I think the other thing to add to that with regards to Union is that I, I was looking at their pass maps after the game and the most frequent pass was from the goalkeeper up to Sibichu at the time yeah. up front, which, which you know, just goes to show just how direct Union were having to be. Which you know, I guess is fine if you're trying to play a very counter-attacking style, which you know Union do tend to do at times. But it was it was very um, simplistic. It was very reductive. It was very kind of as if they were just, they, they just simply weren't even, they didn't have the coherence or the kind of mental aptitude to try and pass their way around Bayern. And I think, you, I think you're absolutely spot on um, in the sense that mm. it, it was a very fatigued performance uh, from Union, um, you know, and I showed up in just about every stat. You know, they had some moments in the second half, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was maybe uh, Becker who came very close to maybe pulling it back when it was 3-0 mm-hmm. but and then you know maybe at that point in the second half maybe you know Bayern start to kind of shake a little bit but no I thought it was a complete performance from Bayern um, and the thing that really stood out to me two things that stood out to me and it's not really kind of groundbreaking or 
hot takes because they were both quite literally on the score sheet to an extent in the sense that I thought the two Bayern players who were both outstanding were Kingsley Coleman and Thomas Muller. And I think it's been really interesting, obviously, yeah. that obviously Coleman, you know, everyone knows he's a big player for Bayern, but Nagelsmann has kind of been quite selective in how he uses him this season. He obviously feels a degree that he has mm-hmm. to kind of rotate him between Sane and Gnabry to an extent. Um, but in this performance, he was untouchable. And obviously against PSG very recently, he was the exact same. And yeah. he's just offered a directness and a use a usefulness that I think has kind of been missing from Sane and Gnabry's game for much of the season, actually. And when he's on form like that, uh, he's just tremendous. And that first goal for Chupa Moting was just almost out of the Robert Lewandowski playbook, wasn't it? Um, and <laughs> you know, yeah. there must have just been a collective gasp of relief when the Bayern fans saw, you know, a simple cross <laughs> into the box and a big number nine just heading it home. Because, you know, we've talked about how Bayern, uh, Bayern have tried to kind of overplay at times and how they struggle to break teams down. And once again, Chip promoting steps up there. So Coleman, you know, did a tremendously jo- great job there. And of course, he then scored uh, nine minutes after that. But the other thing I think really stood out to me is that this was possibly Thomas Muller's best performance of the season. I mean, maybe he's played better and nothing, uh, nothing really mm-hmm. comes to mind for me at the moment. But, um, you know, I made a video actually just at the turn of the year, kind of looking at his stats in the first half of the season. And they, they really had plummeted because... As I theorized, um, you know, he was missing a big kind of number. He obviously had a strike partner, Rob Lewandowski, who, you know, um, they had such a great, coherent partnership for so many years. And as soon as you kind of pluck Lewandowski from that system, it makes sense that Thomas Muller was obviously going to struggle to kind of adapt. Um, you obviously then throw in the fact that he, had, he was struggling with injuries, yeah. he didn't look fit. And I think perhaps, I mean, Obviously, two moments of magic from Muller, which I thought were outstanding. One, that kind of over-the-head pass for Coleman to set up the second goal uh, was just just kind of peak Muller in the sense that he's such an outstanding playmaker at the best of times and allows players to play off him. But also that th- his kind of run for the third goal, which, you know, at the end of the day, we're kind of talking about a player here who's now 33 years old um, and he's bursting a gut to get to the byline there to swing a ball back from Musiala and I think that more than anything else must be the most kind of encouraging thing for Bayern fans who were kind of hoping and wondering if the old Muller was going to return and that said that suggested to me that he he is he still has plenty of you know gas in the tank and if you if you will in the sense mm. that he, he's capable of kind of really hitting the ground running or really getting to that byline beating the defender and swinging the ball back from Musiala and really putting it on a plate for him uh, because you know that's going to be such a big it's going to be such a big thing for Bayern uh, going into this, or for the remainder of the season if he is fully fit because I feel like he's been such a big miss for them um, and yeah so I think you know you couple some really good performances from Bayern with mm-hmm. you know a really exhausting one from Union Berlin and you're obviously going to get this result I think I did kind of predict a Bayern win if I'm not mistaken in the preview yeah, because did. I think you did because you know as good as Union have been this season. Uh, they have they've built this successful campaign off the bedrock that is that home form and how well they play in front of their own hand their own fans. I think going into this fixture, if you looked at their away performances, they're maybe only the fifth or sixth best in the season. So 
you know, I think it's. Um, I don't think it's really alarm bells for Union Berlin. I don't think any. I don't think any Union fans are going to be upset that they didn't win at the Allianz Arena, and I certainly yeah. don't think it means that you know the bubble has burst or anything like that. I just think they've been quite tepid away from home for some time now. Bayern kind of look back to their best, and of course Union are kind of fighting on multiple fronts right now with the European football. So they're going to. They have to just kind of take it as they go. You know, the, the, I think this might be. This is this is going to be in a few things, a few thoughts here. Um, it's going to be an interesting storyline that what's going to happen where if the Bundesliga keeps doing well in Europe, because like that those first few Champions League results were very encouraging, right? From mm-hmm. all three sides, um, three out of the four have a good chance of advancing, um, which then of course comes with its own challenges. Um, I think the Bundesliga will pray that. Bayern advance because I think that will mean that for the rest of the league there's a chance more of a chance to to beat them because they will have to fight on an additional front um, then of course the the teams in the Europa League all advanced um, and Freiburg all, obviously all had a bye in that in that latest round right they they face Juventus but Union have an easy opponent Leverkusen have an easy opponent um, there's a good chance that you have teams going deep in the European competition mm. And I think that's going to be interesting to see how that's going to ad- ad- give advantage to some sides and disadvantages to other. Hmm. Um, I'm glad you're bringing up Kingsley Coman because like, um, you know this because I've had this planned. And then last week um, I opted to write the 1860 newsletter, which, by the way, I saw all the comments. Um, they were wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, I just haven't had the time to respond yet. Um, but my newsletter this week is actually on Kingsley Coman um, hmm. and how... He's kind of been reinvented a little bit by Nagelsmann. And I think that you saw it, the, the, the PSG game was a great example of that, I thought. Um, but I also thought this game against Union was another good example. He's becoming increasingly more of like a two-way player mm. who's defensively extremely important, but also still very effective in the attack. And that makes him such a valuable commodity. And it's often kind of... I'm a little bit ignored or passed over because he's such a quiet character. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to do my newsletter about that because I think his numbers are fascinating and some of the things that have been said. My final thought on Thomas Müller. Um, I wonder with his numbers, the way that they're kind of going up and down at the moment. Um, there was an interesting moment after the game uh, when I was in Munich against Bochum. Um, where he talked to us uh, in the mixed zone and um, he was actually going straight to the physio after the game, right? He had a physio appointment. So it was actually surprising that he stopped at all. Um, mm. No wallet trick this time around. Uh, anyone who's wondering <laughs> the wallet trick is, Miller does like to hold his wallet to his, <laughs> to, his <laughs> to his ear pretending it's a phone so he doesn't have to talk to us. It was actually a real phone this time and it, he did stop nonetheless. But he did say that he... He kind of hinted that he's been struggling with a lot of small injuries this year, which, of course, if you know Thomas Müller's injury history, it's pretty much non-existent, right, up until mm. pretty much this year. And I think he's getting to a point now where he just has to invest a lot more in his body. And I think that maybe um, it's been an adjustment for him, um, especially in the first half of the year. And I wonder if now... You know, there was some interesting Slatan Ibrahimovic quotes that came out, right? 41, he's still going. I wonder that now that Thomas Müller is entering the a stage of his career where he actually has to take a bit more care of his body, 
and if he was this year at a time where he had to adjust a little bit more to that like you know i'm not saying he didn't work on his in his private time he he obviously did but now he has to put in more hours at the physio right and he has to put in extra shifts to to get his body ready and i wonder if at the first half of the season we saw thomas muller adjusting to that new reality stefan yeah absolutely i mean i guess i mean I, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a kind of sad fact of life but i guess when players do get to that yeah. age when they do have a bad run of five or six months it seems harsh but it's also fair to say well you know is this just a natural decline that everybody goes through uh or is this just another kind of blip in their career and it would be great for muller and for german football if it, if it was just a blip and he is able to bounce back um because he is such a useful player so you'd think that he'd do, have, he would have a degree of longevity that maybe would escape players that are far more direct and maybe rely far more on acceleration and pace for example um but yeah, again, we'll just have to kind of wait and see. I did kind of dig into his numbers, and I wouldn't go so far as to say it's kind of black and white in terms of yeah. you know going from bad to good or whatever, vice versa. Um, it still has a long way to go, I think, before he's back to being the kind of really consistent, you know, week in week out performer for Bayern. I think Bayern fans probably know that, but it could not be coming at a better time of season for them because you know um, they're still not exactly out of the woods in terms of the performances no. uh obviously this week was tremendous but you know as i kind of talked about uh on the reaction pod to the psg game i wasn't entirely convinced by it and i still think the second leg when it does come will be very very difficult so it's good that these players are coming back and that bayern are kind of you know picking up points but they're still in the same kind of position as the likes of dortmund and leipzig mm-hmm. in, in the sense that they now have tricky european games but Unlike maybe most seasons in the Bundesliga, they also have to keep another eye on the domestic league because, you know, you'd like to, you, yeah. they probably like to think that by the time the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the Champions League come around, they've already wrapped up the title. And if that's not the case, then it makes it makes what is usually a kind of routine end to the Bundesliga season far more difficult for them. They have another spell in the Bundesliga and then where things are going to go badly. Hmm. And I think that is what everyone else kind of knows too. We look. We just chatted about Dortmund and this, the the key games that they all have. I think that the the competition, Bayern's competition, could stumble and it will still be an open title race because you just know that there's another stretch coming where they're all of a sudden going to draw like three games. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. They still have those performances in them. So, um, yeah, it remains exciting. I mean, that's great. Um, this is what we want. Everyone wants this. We want the Bundesliga to do well internationally, and it looks like they are. Of course, we have to wait how the second legs pan out and we want the Bundesliga to be exciting and we might actually be able to get both this year, which is great, um, which is really great. Look, it's also exciting at the other end of the table, Stefan, because you you wrote a great newsletter about Schalke last week. Uh, really interesting. Schalke win against Stuttgart and it's now between 14th and 18th, just four points in the relegation mm-hmm. battle. This is going to be very interesting um yeah i want to let you take it away from here because obviously you wrote a bit about schalke and you predicted this result <laughs> yeah i got one right i guess you know um you know it's about broken clock <laughs> and all that jazz no um yeah I, I i i thought this was a great game to be honest with you you know you never really expect these bottom the table games to go well but it was actually a very entertaining match mm. some great goals in it um Particularly Schalke's second goal, uh, which was you would not th- you would not have thought 
they were a team who'd gone four games without scoring. If you'd watched the way that Marius Bulters uh, just kind of backheeled the ball into the back of the net, like, you know, it's a goal that would have made Neymar blush. Um, so it was mm-hmm. it was a great game in that sense. And it obviously was just kind of dripping with narratives and importance. And you could kind of, kind of even just watch the game on telly. You could kind of feel the tension and the kind of drama from the Veltons arena, which is just such an outstanding stadium, you know, and it's, it, it breaks my heart yeah. to see Schalke in this position and to an extent, you know, like, because they are such a big club and it goes beyond really who you support. Now, look, of course, if you're a Dortmund fan, I'm, I'm sure you, you, you're not exactly worrying for them, but if you're not and you're neutral, it's just like, it's, it's, it's like watching, you know, one of the biggest clubs in any division. And, and it's always fun when you see big teams falter, but when you see them falter for so long, you begin to really appreciate that they have so many fans um, who show up every week to watch yeah. them, and you're like, it's just, it's just not nice seeing that many people upset. It's so it's, it's obviously good to see Schalke win, in my opinion. Um, and I think it was a game in which you know they obviously pulled ahead with two great goals at the start, and I think what ultimately kind of won it for Schalke was the sense that they were able to kind of fall back on that really impressive kind of defensive. Um, fortitude that they've managed to really kind of build Mm -hmm. and that was kind of what my newsletter was about last week in the sense that you know they hadn't conceded a goal in four games and you know obviously they were getting quite worked up about the fact that they weren't scoring goals but also I thought well that defensive kind of stability will kind of put them in good stead towards the end of the season Um, and Stuttgart really threw everything including the kitchen sink at them in the second half (laughs) and although it kind of came down to like you know Borna Sosa hitting a really kind of speculative shot that somehow managed to go through Farman's legs, which is a real shame because he pulled off some outstanding saves in this game. But it felt to me like in that second half, they were able to kind of really bunker down and see off a decent um, late charge from Stuttgart. And it, and like my newsletter is kind of on this game um, and how it reflects on Stuttgart. And I think... It's interesting how when these when teams meet at this stage of the season and how close they are in the league and how it's almost like the narratives around the clubs they they almost like they kind of swap narratives in a sense because it's very easy to see Schalke now in the ascendancy and Stuttgart in the descendancy you know and like I'm not going to obviously just re- recite my entire newsletter because it's not really specifically about the, the here and now in terms of the form it's some other aspects to it but some of the kind of stats for Stuttgart the stats stood out to me, which I'm happy to recite here, and which are quite concerning since Labadia came in, uh, are really troubling. I'll just kind of read them out to you here. That mm. In Labadia's first five games in charge of the club, um, he's only managed to pick up on average 0.4 points per game. Um, now on Transfermarkt, we have a manager impact table, which you can go on. So you can go to the Bundesliga page and then mm-hmm. one of the drop-down menus that shows you there, which is the worst manager impact this season. Um, and it's only one third of what his predecessor, Michael Wimmer, was picking up in his final five games before he got replaced. So it goes to show that just kind of, you know, like how bad the start was. And since then, so since um, Labadia came in, as Stuttgart head coach, only one club, which is Hoffenheim, have picked up fewer points than Stuttgart. And, you know, watching this game as well today, or not today, when I watched this game, it made me think today as I was writing his newsletter that, you know, we spent all season talking about how much trouble Schalke are in. 
and I think that's kind of maybe overshadowed the fact that Stuttgart are also in a lot of trouble. But where a club like Schalke, yeah. you know, maybe have, in my opinion, um, they have a head coach who's been there before, um, who has a very clear, um, you know, tactical um, outlook on life. I'm obviously talking about Thomas Rice here, who I thought did a very good job at Bochum and making them very difficult to beat. And as I wrote my newsletter last week, you know, in the sense that he's now kind of doing that with Schalke and that's how they picked up four draws in the last four games. So they managed to beat Stuttgart. And then as I pointed out in the newsletter, how they've now got a really good run of games now where they're playing bottom half teams and they can really start picking up a lot of points. Whereas they have that kind of bedrock and that strong foundation to work, to work on between now and end of the season, I feel like Stuttgart are just kind of in free fall, you know? And yeah. Bruno, Bruno Labadia after the game just was just kind of all over the place. And he's he was kind of talking about how he wanted the club to do one thing, but they did the other. He said they didn't have courage. He complained that he has now... I didn't really complain, but he kept making the point that he has the youngest team in the league, which... Just kind of makes in fairness. Yeah, he does. But then, it, <laughs> but that, but then that's kind of like, well, then what, what, what? And then again, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm trying to bite my tongue here because this is kind of what my newsletter is yeah. about. I don't, I don't want to repeat it, but it makes you kind of think. Well, what are Stuttgart doing? What's the point having the youngest team in the league if it's going to get relegated? There's no point in getting applause for scouting exciting young players if at the end of the day they can't do their job, which is to win enough games to avoid relegation. It doesn't matter if you're 19 or 34. If you get relegated, mm. you're still useless. Can and I say something about that? Because like, because like, you are completely right. And it's actually really frustrating then if you're a club that has gone out and bought all this young talent and then you hire a coach who mm. complains about the young players and kind of throws them under the bus. Mm. That's, a, yeah. that's a really bad look. You know, like yeah, and it's, we're in the year twenty twenty three, and young players is the future, and the the sport is getting increasingly younger with, in terms of what you feel on the uh, what you feel, hmm. and then you can't, and then like this is a kind of on the club. It's not just on Lapadia, but they knew what they were getting. Yeah, it's abs- it's absolutely on the club, and that's the entire point that you know we're kind of making here. Mm-hmm. That what are Stuttgart up to? Because we talked about this when they hired Labadie in the first place. Like, what was the point? Why? Why? Where's the strategy behind that? Where's the thinking behind that? Does Labadia have a long and 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 you know proven track record in the Bundesliga? Not really. Uh, you know, he's obviously got no. experience in inverted commas because he's coached a lot of games. Whether he's actually you know taken a number of clubs to a great degree of success, uh, especially in recent years, is certainly up for debate in my opinion. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of reap what you're so. And I think Schalke have kind of, and by no means am I saying Schalke are a well-run club and deserve a lot of praise because, you know, even <laughs> Schalke fans will say, you know, they're sick to the back teeth of the people who do run the club. But at yeah. the very least, they were able to get a head coach in who knew what he was doing and they're now seeing the benefits of that. And then, and then I just think this game was so good in the sense that it showed the contrast between those two systems. Yeah. So anyway, if you want to know more, Go read my newsletter. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, just some final thoughts here before we wrap up the show. The relegation battle, of course, remains um, incredibly interesting. Um, and I just wonder now that we can, if if we're going to see Schalke pull out of it. Mm-hmm. I know they're still last. I know that there's three points behind, um, I think, three or four teams right in front of them, right? Yeah. Um, and, but... 
that's now four games in a row that they have collected points. And you don't necessarily stay in the league by just winning. You literally just need to collect points every weekend, mm. right? Um, and you almost wonder now that if they just keep going uh, at this pace, you could see them conceivably jump over two or three teams in front of them. Yeah. And that well, is worrying for someone like Hoffenheim or Stuttgart or maybe even, you know, Augsburg who are further up. But yeah. Well, um, if you want to, if you want to like, base on, if you want to base on form in the last five games, Schalke yeah. are ninth, ninth in the table. Yeah, which says yeah. a lot. Um, yeah, and I but, mean, like honestly, I'd be, I'd be quite honest with you. You, you, you can hate or like Schalke. Um, I always think that the teams that you want these big teams in the league, the Bundesliga is a better league with Werder Bremen than Schalke, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, in fairness, they are with Stuttgart too, but <laughs> um, that's a completely different conversation. But, you know, those big teams need to stay in the league. And um, I hope that Schalke stays in the league somehow, because like, if, I think if they pull this off somehow, um, they will be in a much better situation next year, because then you get more television revenue, right? You get better advertising revenue. You you can sort of build on on that performance. It, it's going to take, the, if they if they manage to stay in the league, it's going to take them at least another two or three years of this um, relegation battles, right? Mm. Every year until they are completely out of the woods. That's how big of how that's how big the damage is. Um, but I, I think if they pull this off, they will actually find themselves in a, all of a sudden a much better place in terms yeah. of where the club is, because like it makes everything easier, doesn't it? Like if you look at Werder Bremen and they're they're pretty much secure of staying in the league now. Hmm. And the, we talked about this last week about the, the commercial revenue that's all of a sudden coming in, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is that security. Um, so it'd be a really, really great thing if they can sort of pull that off. And then if we maybe get like a team like Hamburg or Kaiserslautern back as well next year, hmm. I think the league will be a better place for it. Um, yeah. Without a doubt. Well, there we go. We've... Um... If Dortmund fans didn't already hate us, they'll hate us now that we both eulogized about how much we you love Schalke. <laughs> I had this in one of my comments um, on the 1860 article. And I talk to my friends in Munich all the time because I have lots of Bayern Munich fans, I have lots of 1860 fans. Hmm. And my Bayern Munich fans, our friends, are always like, when are you guys getting your stuff? Well, do you use it? Do you use it? Let's be French here. Get the shit together, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pardon my French, um, because we want uh, we want our Munich derby back, right? Mm. You, you you want those games are, me- are so meaningful for people. The Munich yeah. derby used to be a used to be two two dates in the calendar that everyone circled. Yeah. It was a really important date. And I, I, yes, Dortmund fans probably love making fun of Schalke, but at the end of the day, that Revier derby date is so very important for so many people. Um, and you can say the same about the people in Hamburg and people in Berlin and, you know, everyone involved. Like, those derby dates are special. Hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's great to make fun of your opponent, but at the end of the day, you still want to play them. No, of course, of course. No, I think right. it's very, I think it's very important. I completely agree. I don't. I have. I've shown. I've got no qualms about supporting Schalke to avoid relegation. Of course, Stuttgart are just as big a club to an extent, and you know it'd be horrible to see them go down. But yeah, um, it'll be interesting. I guess we we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that wraps it up. 
as always, the show is brought to you by Bet Online. Um, I am mostly at home this upcoming week, so we should be on a pretty regular schedule. The transfer show, uh, we have a Leipzig transfer to discuss. Um, maybe a little bit more news about Marco Reus' future as well, and some other stuff. Um, we still have to think about another midweek show, Stefan, but I'm sure the two of us will come up with something exciting. You already said new newsletters on Stuttgart, so if you're interested in reading that, sign up for the Substack. Um, I can highly recommend that. Um, there's a lot of really cool content on there that is not available for free. I'm sorry. But um, yeah, and then my newsletter is about Kingsley Coman. So anything else you want to add, Stefan, before we wrap this up? No, I think you got most of it there. Yeah, just as always, the thank you to the subscribers who do listen. And even just people who listen to the show every week, it's a big thank you. I know we kind of go on about subscribers yeah. a lot, but if you don't subscribe, if you can't subscribe, that's totally fine. We still love that you guys listen. Uh, and it's a big thank you. So as always, thanks. And we'll see, if you don't subscribe, I guess we'll see you on Friday. Yep, back with the preview show. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge? It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.